Thank you, choir, orchestra. That was wonderful today. Steve, I have your book up here. He gets excited sometimes and forget what we're doing, but that's all right as long as he's, he's in the spirit. I'm a, I, well, I know you plan too much. He leaned over to me and said, I'm a little long. You're going to have to start cutting. He said, I can do it and no one will miss a thing. Well, today we are told that what one believes is unimportant because there is no right and there is no wrong. Marty Kaplan, screenwriter and Hollywood producer, wrote, What attracted me to meditation was its apparent religious neutrality. You don't have to believe anything. All you have to do is do it. So today, we are told that our beliefs are really unimportant because truth is subjective. A hundred years ago, the philosophy that was embraced in our land was modernism. Modernism basically said that it is science that authenticates truth. So if science then says something is true, then it is true. Therefore, everything came under the microscope of science, including religion, and it judged religion. If science says that a religious belief was true, then it was valid. We have since moved from modernism to postmodernism, and postmodernism insists there is no such thing as truth, that everyone determines truth for themselves, so there is no absolute or universal truth, and that includes science. That is the reason today you might hear someone say two plus two equals five. Well, that is true for them. It's close, so it is true for them. That is the way we see things in modern postmodernism. That is the reason that a white man in Florida, I believe it is, can identify as a Filipino woman and people say, well, that's what he is because that is what he believes to be true. At a state university, there was a sign displayed that said, it is okay for you to think you are right. It is not okay for you to think someone else is wrong. So in a postmodern world then, God is declared to be dead or irrelevant. If God is dead, then man must be God. Nietzsche, the German philosopher, asked the question, how shall we, the murderers of all murderers, comfort ourselves? Must not we ourselves become gods simply to seem worthy of it? Because man in his mind has killed God, eliminated God, the one who can forgive us of our sins, then we are left in our guilt. Is there any truth? What about God? Can we have a relationship to God? How does it all fit together? That's what I want us to look at today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse number 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. 
Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. All right. In this passage of scripture, the Bible teaches us that God is approachable. That the God of the Bible is an approachable God. However, there are two cautions concerning that. We are invited to approach God, but we cannot come to God through idolatry. The Bible says in Exodus 20 verse 4, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. In other words, I cannot approach the true God through a false God. I cannot come to God through idols. Secondly, we come to God in reverence. I know that there are those who say, well, it doesn't matter how you come, we are just to come, so it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. The Bible teaches us that we come to God, God is approachable, we come to God, cannot come through idolatry, and we do not come in irreverence. Now, there are examples in the Bible of those who approached God in an unacceptable way. The, the first example that I would give to you would be Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. Now, you recall in the story that they both made an offering to God, and the Bible says that Abel's offering was accepted, but it says in Genesis chapter 4, verse number 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. All right, so Abel and Cain both approached God. They both came to God to make an offering to God. And the Bible says that Abel's offering was accepted, but Cain's offering was rejected. In Jude verse number 11 in the New Testament, the scripture says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. What is that? Well, it is a religion of reason. You see, Cain was a farmer. And it was absolutely reasonable, I think, that he would offer to God the fruit of his field. It was a reasonable response on his part. It was a reasonable religion. It not only was reasonable, but it was a religion of sincerity. When Cain made his offering to God, I believe he was sincere. I think it was a sincere offering that he was bringing. He was bringing the fruit of his field to God. It was the reasonable thing to do. It was a sincere thing that he did, but it was rejected. Why was it rejected? Well, because that's not what God had said. The Bible says that God had no regard for his offering. God rejected his offering. Why? It was sincere, it was reasonable, it was rejected. Because God said that we have to come through an offering of blood. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 22, 
All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. So they have gone then the way of Cain. What was the way of Cain? It was a religion of reason. It was a religion of sincerity. Therefore it was rejected. Another example. Nadab and Abihu. Now these boys came from a religious family. In fact their father was Aaron. Their uncle was Moses. So they came from a religious family. But here's the thing. Just because one comes from a religious family does not mean that you are acceptable. See, there are some, probably some of you who think that your parents were Christians or your grandparents were Christians or you come from a religious family and that makes you acceptable to God. No, it doesn't. These boys came from a religious family. But listen to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. They offered strange fire before the Lord. All right, now, these are the sons of Aaron, and the Bible says they offered strange fire before the Lord. It was an unacceptable fire, so it says in the next verse, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Why is the way we come important? Why is the way we come to God important well because God is holy in the next verse in Leviticus chapter 10 verse number 3 it says by those who come near to me I will be treated as holy and before all the people I will be honored folks we have some ideas about God that are not scriptural ideas God is holy and he demands holiness from those who come to him. Peter said, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So the Bible says that God is a holy God. And he demands that when we come to him, he is approachable. But when we come to him, that we come in holiness. Martin Luther was doing his first mass in the middle of it he froze he began we offer unto thee the living the true eternal god when he came to that point in his first mass he couldn't continue he quit he froze he later said at these words i was utterly stupefied and terror-stricken I thought to myself, with what tongue shall I address such majesty, seeing that all men ought to tremble in the presence of even an earthly prince, who am I that I should lift up mine eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? God is approachable. The Bible teaches us that he is approachable. But the scripture says that when we come to him, we must come in holiness because he is holy. Then we see the acceptable mediator. Erwin Lutzer wrote, All entrance into the presence of God is mediated. That is, we need someone who can represent our interest as well as those of the offended party, who in this case is God. Okay? So the Bible says that God is approachable, that I can come to God, but I have to come through a mediator. 
I, I have had the opportunity of meeting several presidents, but in every case, it was a mediated meeting. There was someone who introduced me. There was someone who opened the door for me to go. There was a mediator in each case. All right? So then, if we approach God, God is approachable. I can come to God who is the mediator that opens the door that makes the introduction. Well, in the Old Testament, it was the priest who stood before God representing mankind. Now it is Jesus. Look at verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Jesus is the mediator. He is the one who opens the door for me to come to the Father. He is the one who opens the door for you to come to the Father. That's the reason that the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing, giving us a picture that now then we have access to the Father. We can come to the Father through Jesus Christ. He is the mediator who opens the door for us to come. We have to have a mediator, and Jesus is the exclusive mediator. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God, and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony born at the proper time. There's one God, there's one mediator. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, Jesus is the mediator because he is perfect. He never sinned. And the Bible says that he stands as an umpire between God and man. Job chapter 9 verse 33 says, There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Jesus in his humanity puts his hand on mankind and in his deity places his hand on the Father, and he is the umpire who opens the door for us. He is the mediator who makes it possible for us to approach God. He is the acceptable mediator. He is the acceptable mediator because he is the adequate sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says, For by one offering... He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the fact is justice demands atonement for sin. And he is the sacrifice for man's sin. In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that were offered time and time again. Jesus died once and opened the door for us, paying for our sins because he is the perfect sacrifice. I have mentioned already, and we'll elaborate a little bit, that there are some unacceptable sacrifices, some sacrifices we believe that will open the door to the Father for us. One is sincerity, and I mention that again because I think that that is the dominant 
idea today that if I am sincere, it doesn't matter what I believe. As long as I am sincere, then that makes me acceptable to God. I read the story about a young man who had gone into the malt shop and he ordered a malt. They brought it to him, set it down in front of him. About that time, there was a guy who walked in the door. He had on a leather vest, tattoos all over his arm, had some piercings in his ears and in his nose, looked like he had just gotten off of the typical motorcycle that we would think of. And so he came in, looked at the young guy. He sort of shoved him aside, took the malt and drank it and looked at him in scorn. Young man looked at him and he says, this is the worst day of my life. He said, I was late for work. I got fired. My car was stolen. I don't have insurance. I lost my wallet. My girlfriend broke up with me. This is the worst day I have ever had in my life. And I came here to have a final malt and leave this life. So he said, I put poison in my malt. <laughs> he looked at him and said, and by the way, how are you feeling? <laughs> we can be sincere, folks, but that does not mean we are right. Those who flew into the World Trade Center were sincere in what they did. When the Apostle Paul was persecuting the church as Saul, he was sincere. He believed that he was doing the work of God. When he persecuted the Christians, when he persecuted the church, he believed that he was doing the work of God. He was sincere. There are those who think that if I am sincere, that makes me acceptable to God regardless as to what I believe. Sincerity. There are those who think that an offering or a sacrifice of spirituality makes me right with God. I, I, I hear people talk about, well, you know, so-and-so is so spiritual. I don't even know what that means. You know, Oprah is spiritual. People are spiritual. And they think that if I am a spiritual pers person, whatever that is, that makes me acceptable to God. There are those who believe that if I feel guilty about doing wrong, then I must be right with God, that my guilt makes me right with God. Folks, the fact is there is only one acceptable sacrifice, and it is Jesus. Martin Luther asked, what makes you think that God is more pleased with your good deeds than he is with his blessed son? I'm going to make myself acceptable to God by what I do. I'm not that good. But you're not either. Jesus is the only acceptable sacrifice. He is our advocate who pleads our case. John wrote, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our attorney before the Father. He is your attorney before the Father. He is our propitiation. John said, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That means that he satisfied the penalty of sin. What is it? The wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. 
When Jesus died, he satisfied the penalty of sin, meaning that he is the propitiation for us. As the hymn Rock of Ages says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know, could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone, thou must save and thou alone. He is the adequate sacrifice. And then what is our appropriate attitude in approaching God? When we come to God, how do we come to God? What is the, what is the, uh, what is the appropriate way to come to God? When I look at verse number 16, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. We are to come confidently before God. We come to God in confidence. What does that mean? We come confidently before God. What does that mean? I'm to come confidently before the throne. It means, first of all, that we can constantly come. I can come at any time. You, you know the story of Esther in the Old Testament, and uh, she was told by Mordecai to go before the king. She said, I can't go before the king unless he invites me, unless he extends his scepter. If he does not invite me, then it could be the penalty of death. I can't go. But when the Bible says that we come confidently before God, it means that I have access to God constantly. You can come to God at any time. You can come before the throne of God right now. It means that I, can, I come before the throne of God unreservedly with any petition, large or small. Sometimes we think the only time we are to approach God is whenever there's some big deal that we're dealing with and then we come to God. I'm grateful that my wife taught our children to come to God with little things. And if they've lost something, well, let's pray about it. If something happened, Let's pray about it. But teaching them that in all things you come to God, not just in the big things. To come confidently before the throne of grace means that you can come with all things. You can come with your sins. God is not shocked when you tell him about your sin. He already knows. See, I might not know. I don't even want to know. But God already knows. He already knows about your sin. He already knows about my sin. And he's not angry with us because he loves us. That's the reason that Jesus died is because he loves us and he loves you. So when he says that we come confidently before the throne of grace, it means that I can come at any time and I come with everything, no matter what it is. It means that I can come to God informally. If, um, I don't know about you, but when I, I pray, there's a couple of things that I want to recognize that I'm speaking first of all to God. That he is God. Now that is beyond my understanding. God. I am finite. He is infinite. I don't have a good handle on that. But he is God. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. All of those things. But he's also my father. He's my father. So when I come to God, I'm coming before God. But I'm also coming before my father. So I come informally. For instance, if my children have a need, they don't have to write out a document to give me concerning that need. All I want from them is a conversation. I want them to just come and talk with me. So to come confidently before God means that I come informally. I come to my Father. I come to God. I come to my Father. 
and then I come confidently. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. James 1, 6 says, Ask in faith, nothing wavering. Right. So to come confidently before God then means that I come with confidence that He hears my prayers and that He is a God who answers prayers. I come in confidence and I come in faith. And the Bible says that when I come in faith, that He gives me His peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you long for the peace of God, don't you? You long to have peace with God. And the Bible says, when I come with faith in Jesus Christ, that he gives me his peace. And then that is the introduction that I have because in Romans 5, 2, Paul says, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through Jesus, we are introduced to the Father. Now, let me conclude. Where's your trust today? What are you trusting in? Is it religion? See, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a teacher of religion. And Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You're never going to see heaven, much less get in unless you're born again. So where's your trust? Where's your faith today? Is it in religion? Is it in sincerity? You can be sincere and still wrong. Is it in the works that you do that I do good works and that commends me to God? The Bible says not by works which we have done. So the Bible says that our works are not acceptable to introduce us to God. The only reliable one in whom we trust is Jesus. And Jesus determines our destiny. No one comes to the Father but by me. Folks, I know today we are told that what you believe doesn't matter. It does. What you believe matters. What you believe determines your eternity. Where's your faith today? What do you believe today? According to the Bible and according to the testimony of most of the people here, when we bring our sins to Jesus and receive his grace, we become a child of God. What do you believe? Our gracious Father, I pray that you might search our hearts today and show us your findings. I pray, Father, for those who have placed their hope, their trust, and other things that today they might turn to Christ. And Lord, I thank you for your sufficiency. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless this invitation time as we consider your call on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today without Christ, I invite you to come and receive him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, you come. I'll greet you as you do. Jesus.